0: Hello, and welcome to Spectology, the science fiction book club podcast. I'm your host, Adrian. I'm Matt. Uh, Spectology is a book club podcast where each month we pick a book, read it, and talk about it over the course of two episodes. This is our pre-read, so spoiler-free, pre-read contextual episode for The Killing Moon by N.K. Jemisin, which is going to be our book this month.
1: Very, very exciting. N.K. Jemisin is amazing. She's the crest of the wave of speculative fiction. And so it's really cool to get to talk about her.
0: Yeah, this will be really fun. And I think a lot of people have read her um, Broken Earth trilogy, uh, we wanted to both read something that maybe like folks haven't read yet. Um, but also this is a standalone book, which is also part of why we picked it. So the killing moon, it's the first of what's called the dream blood duology, but the two books are totally standalone. You could read either of them. You could read both of them in different orders, whatever. So we're just reading this one, um, And I think it'll be, I think it'll be a lot of fun. It's good. Yeah.
1: This is, is, you know, your favorite NK Jemisin book too, isn't it? It is.
0: Yeah. I'm curious if I still feel that way. Like I, you know, I read all of her novels in 2016, like, in a row like i read the fifth season and was like <laughs> oh i'm going to read every single book she's published and did um and so i'm curious to see if like you know rereading it a few years later three years later essentially if i still feel that way but um so far i mean i'm rereading it and i'm really enjoying it it's 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 such a good book and i've liked her other oh. books too we'll we'll, we'll, we'll talk yeah. about it it's not like i'm like oh this is the only good one or any bullshit like that yeah
1: No, I'm excited too. I've read Broken Earth and really enjoyed it, uh, but I've never read any of her other books. And so I'm really looking forward. I mean, I've already started it, haven't gotten very far, but it's really great so far and it's different in cool ways from Broken Earth. And I'm Mm -hmm. really excited to to get through the rest of it and talk about it. Yeah.
0: And it hits a couple of things that are just like my jam. Like it's like ancient egyptian and it's super political it's all about power structures and there's a bunch of like <laughs> union psychology going on and it's like a like investigative murder mystery i mean it's just like all the shit that i'm super you know it's like that's check, a check, check. great
1: elevator pitch um before we go any further should we do content warnings
0: yeah that's probably a good idea because there is um I think like the first or second chapter has a big thing kind of about sexual predation. There's nothing like on screen, but the characters talk about it a lot. Um, There's also, this isn't, I don't know if this counts as a content warning, and I don't know how much it applies to this book specifically, but like N.K. Jemisin writes more explicit sex scenes than I think, we have typically like read just by chance on this podcast. Um, so it's definitely like, you know, rated R for like nudity or something along those lines. Um, and,
1: but also violence. Um, right. There's definitely, I believe I know this only from hearing you talk about it. I haven't read the whole thing yet, but, um, I There's believe some you pretty
0: mentioned. horrific violence and, and especially I think it's kind of like you know it's not just like violence, it's very much like it deals with like psychology and the soul and like you know, like, violence that, like, tears you down to your very, like, soul and being. Um, So it could be potentially somewhat, you know. I think there's, like, maybe more of a, like, horror tinge to this book than, like, The Broken Earth. The Broken Earth was also, like, scary and horrific at times, too. So I think she, it it like, includes some of that in her fantasy, uh, this in particular. Um, Yeah, and so, but I think beyond that, it's not, you know... I guess the other thing I'll say is that, like, all this stuff exists, like, in the text. It's not, like, accidental subtext type stuff. Like, the book is about these things. Um, and N.K. Jemison handles them pretty well for the most part, I would say.
1: Yeah. She's a smart writer. Mm-hmm. And uh, she she tends to, like, know what she's doing and be aware of the choices she's
0: making. Right, right. Or also, like, know when she doesn't know what she's doing, too, which yeah. I think is just as... um important to scale uh yeah yeah, so the killing moon it was published in 2012 uh i think it was her first fourth sorry her fourth we didn't even say
1: that we were gonna do fact books and here you are book facting Of course you have to interrupt me for it.
0: Yes, these are facts about the book. We're doing book facts. Everyone's favorite segment, not book facts, but where Matt interrupts me to tell us we're doing book facts. That is, in fact, everyone's favorite segment of the podcast. Yeah, it's a great segment.
1: It's certainly my favorite.
0: The the listeners can't tell, but Matt has, like, turned red laughing at this. I'm Um, happy. So it was published 2012. It's her fourth published novel. I think I read somewhere. I shouldn't say this because I'm like acting as an authority. I think I read somewhere. It was one of the first novels she actually wrote or something along those lines. And it got published. No clue. I don't know. I mean, she ended up publishing like four novels or five novels in like two or three years at the beginning of her career. Cause I think cause she had had a lot of this stuff like written or in different degrees of having been written. So was able to publish a lot really quickly when she got a publishing contract. Um, it's about 450 pages long. So it's in the kind of like middle length for us lengthwise. It's not as short as some of the books we've been reading more recently. It's got a good pace to it so far,
1: though. It's not. Uh, yeah.
0: It doesn't drag. It's so. not a slog. Yeah. No. And it's very, you know the plot is very like political and interpersonal, but it's also fairly mm-hmm. plot driven. Um, mm-hmm. It's not, you know, like, like Empress of forever was this very like picaresque. Like it was also very plotty, but it was plotty in this like episodic plots kind of way. And this is like, there's one plot and you're like thrown into it pretty early on, like second, yeah. second chapter. And you're in the plot. Um, you know, I guess we kind of gave the the pitch. It's like ancient Egypt kind of like, you know, religious, political thriller, mystery kind of thing. Yeah, I definitely call it a thriller. I think that's a good, you know, what it kind of reminds me of is, did you ever read, um, Preston and child like relic, these nope. like old thriller books in the '90s, early 2000s. I don't know, it like the this this duo of authors who I like read a lot in in middle school because they were like you know super fun thriller kind of action-y books, and it reminds me of that in some ways. I am
1: I am definitely into that.
0: This is I, this totally came out of, the, out of nowhere to me, um, but yeah. <laughs> uh, so I don't I don't have this written down or anything. Um, Sweet. It it is worth saying it was what it was nominated for both the World Fantasy and Nebula Awards in 2013. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Um, and as an aside, you know, N.K. is an incredibly award winning author. Right. Um, although these well, books didn't win, she has right. won a huge amount of awards and set some records.
0: Well, yeah, that's the funny thing. She's actually I mean, she's won a good number of awards, but I think it's more that like her awards have like garnered. I mean, she was the first black person to ever win a Hugo for best novel just ever. Um, first person to win three
1: best novels
0: in a row. In a row first person to win best novels for every novel in a series. I mean, it was like this, the last three years of the Hugos have just kind of like cemented her as like a really important figure in the Hugos history. But before that she hadn't won a ton of awards. I think she'd won like one other world fantasy award or something like that. So there is this kind of like interesting dynamic there where those Hugos really kind of like cemented her as like being award-winning,
1: you know, without necessarily getting into that too much, I do think there's, Some of the history of the Hugos might be relevant to understanding kind of why that might have happened kind of all at once for her. Certainly, she's been writing quality books for a while. If folks don't, just as a thing, I mean, probably folks know what the Hugos are. But if you don't know what the Hugos are, they're a very major speculative fiction award. They started, I want to say, in the late 40s, early 50s. been going on for a long time. It's Um, the biggest science fiction publishing award, like, by far. Yeah, it's a big deal. So... Winning one Hugo is a big deal for an author. Right. Winning three in a row, of course, unprecedented. Right. Never had happened before. So, yeah, let's see. It is
0: this kind of like it's the first of a duology, but it totally also stands alone. Uh, there's also a short story called Narcomancy or maybe Narcomancer that is like also in this world um, that can be oh, found. Really? In I her... didn't know that. Yeah. For a while, it was published online. There's actually a like podcast version of it. Um that I will link to in the show notes Um, so you can listen to it. It's actually, you can't find it to read for free right now, but it is in her, um, you know, uh, N.K. Jemison recently like released a like anthology of all of her short fiction. um, And it's in that anthology as well. Um, So if you, if you have that um, the, the like black future month, I forget the full title of it, but it is that it's cool. It's actually the first, thing of hers i read i believe was that short story and i really i really enjoyed it it's really cool it's actually so one of the cool things is so this is sort of like ancient egyptian inspired fantasy and that short story takes place like thousands of years before these novels do um which is kind of fun because it is this like ancient egyptian thing where you know egypt had like 3500 years of history and so she can kind of like play around with that of you know of that thing going on. So, yeah, it's really neat. It's a fun narco mancy, I believe, is the title of that Um, story. That like I said, I'll link to the podcast version of it. Yeah, it totally I think, rules. you know, I haven't heard of any like pop culture or anything like that, like adaptations. You know, I think the, the, There was some talk of the fifth season getting adapted for a a TV show by TNT. I have no idea where that's at, if that's still happening or like what. I do know that she just announced that the fifth season is getting adapted as a role playing game, um, which sounds pretty cool. And I have some friends who I think are like vaguely involved in that. I was just talking about. It with them yesterday, um, so that's cool, and I think that should be really interesting. Like that will be a great world for a role playing game. Like her kind of like magic there fits really well. So yeah, that's yeah let's gonna talk about Jemison, like Nora, a little bit herself. So NK Jemison or like Nora Jemison as she goes. Uh, like I've she lives here in New York. She lives in Brooklyn. So I've seen her speak a few times, um, which has been a lot of fun. Uh, like we said, the Broken Earth trilogy one. Three Hugos, three years in a row, one for each book that she published. Um, like I said, I so this is my favorite of her books, but I don't want that to sound like, oh, the other books aren't as good or anything like that. Like, I really loved the Broken Earth books. Like, I read the first one, and that's why I decided to go and read everything else she'd written because I was reading it before the second two had come out. And I was like, well, I want more of this. I guess I'll read her other novels.
1: <laughs> uh, I really like the Broken Earth a lot. I think, you know one of the reasons i'm excited about doing about talking about her is that i think that she's really successfully sort of pushing the envelope for like mainstream speculative fiction in a way that's mm-hmm. really cool by kind of in- introducing types of worlds and types of combinations of world plot character that are you could you could talk about them being done before it's not like you know none of the tropes she's dealing with is is kind of ever been touched before by mainstream books but she is bringing new stuff to the middle of the mainstream in a really cool way i think just because she's such a creative Mm -hmm. world builder in particular but also Mm -hmm. a great writer she does so many things well that she and she has like a she's interested in like a lot of neat combinations like i this is how i think about world building we'll probably get get right we'll talk more about world building Call it creativity in a word. Yeah. That's I think that she brings this like really powerful creativity to the mainstream of speculative fiction in a really cool way, mm-hmm. and uh, it's 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 very exciting to talk about. It. You know, a lot of the stuff that we talk about is is great and deserves a lot of attention. She already has a lot of attention, yeah. and so I kind of feel like the the thing to, to 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 think about is maybe like why and like why that's cool. You know, it's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. kind of how I think about it. But
0: I I actually think she like works really hard. Like she, you know, wrote her like reviews for for the New York times for a long time. She like did that while also having a day job as a psychologist. She did that while like writing and publishing all of these novels and a bunch of short stories and her blog. And, you know, I think doing a lot of work for the science fiction writers association. So she's like, she does like a lot, um, both, publishing and like being an author, but also being involved in this larger science fiction community. I think you mentioned at some point too, she used to like run a world building workshop or something like that. Is that right, Matt? Well,
1: I know she's done world building workshops in different contexts on her uh, blog. She has a presentation that you can go look at. Maybe we'll link it in the show notes Cool. that I think it's old at this point, but she's certainly done different versions of it over the years. She's talked about this. She's been on other podcasts, um, and mm. to talk about it. So she's definitely interested in sort of evangelizing her methods, which is really cool. I think that's like a really sort of good way to like help the community. I and mean, She's sort of like, you know, I I, I I think her methods are really cool and they've been really uh, effective at creating like different kinds of worlds and stories that that are still like at a really high level of quality. But she's also spreading the methods themselves, which is sweet. Right, right. There's this interesting... Kind of set of different methods of approaching world building that different authors have put forth, and that kind of people can like navigate between and like use as different ways of thinking about how they're approaching the idea of making a world or making a story or both at the same mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. I, I love talking about that, so I'm so I hope right. hopefully we'll, right. we'll get to no, that we, some we, more. We, of that we later. will. We um, yeah. will.
0: That I mean, I've seen her like I said speak on two different occasions here in New York, and both were like her in conversation with like scientists like once with an astrophysicist and geologist and once with like a earth to earth geologists and both of those are really interesting because they did talk a lot about you know this kind of like research she does for her world building and she's you know she's like I'm not a science fiction author necessarily but I do a lot of this like science research for like building out these fantasy worlds and then I kind of like throw magic in there and like kind of extrapolate from there so I get to ha- be in the fun place of both like really getting to learn about something in depth and then also like using what's good and throwing away what's not interesting from a literary perspective and like really getting to play around in that space i
1: love i love that she does that that is like a really cool sort of additional create creative thing that she does i don't know how many other you know authors are spending time doing the science research Mm -hmm. aspect i mean Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. Well, especially
0: know. like non hard science authors yeah. or non hard science fiction. It's like, like, it's very clear that like, you know, Neil Stevenson or whoever is doing like whatever research right. he's doing, but like, you know, maybe less clear what like, uh, you know, I don't know, Scott Lynch or, or another pick another right. fantasy author is doing. It's the realm.
1: combination of it's the combination of writing in a secondary world and also doing science research. That combination is super cool. Yeah, and that's like a really is. I feel like she that's one of her cool ideas that she's bringing.
0: Right. And it's very rich. It leads to a lot of like cool stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's see uh, a few other facts about her. Life. So she used to write these book reviews for The New York Times. She doesn't anymore. Someone else took it over.
1: But we um, did reference. You've actually one of them like referenced, a, yeah.
0: yeah, some of those reviews before. Um, at least what I think it might have been a few. Um, and then under good, she. I mean, she writes very well about science fiction as well as writing science fiction. Yeah, um, yeah and uh, she also. I guess it's worth saying she has a Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/NKJemison, which is essentially how she manages to write full time now. Um, like, without that, she would still have a day job, not as an author. Um, so, you know, worth worth checking that out. I think she ends up, like, publishing short stories and stuff through it. Um, so if you like her writing, that might be something that you're interested in. I do always find it interesting the different ways that different science – you know, we think of, like, oh, someone's a published author and, like, you know – one of the most Hugo winning published authors in history, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's still like, she still needs a day job or like some other way to like pay the bills. And maybe some of that is like living in Brooklyn. Like Lord knows New York city is not the cheapest place in the world. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's true. It's true. But it uh, is, it is definitely a comment on the, on the economics of the industry. I mean, you right, know, somebody like sure. N.K. Jemison. you know, if, if you're thinking about becoming an author and you're thinking like, Oh man, if only I could be so and so. If only I could be like M.K. Jemison as successful as that. Well, she's pretty successful as an author. Like it's hard to <laughs> yep. think of you know people uh, you know in her like people now who are more successful. But like right, <sighs> it's a really right. really 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 ridiculously tough business.
0: And it can also sometimes, you know, it's like uh, success can mean a lot of different things and like literary success and financial success within the literary world are like two different things, Um, as well as like the way I know a lot of authors who like, you know the way they make most of their money is not necessarily by writing their book or by selling their books. Like they write their books and their books sell, and that's like maybe an important part of what they do. But also they do various consulting or ghostwriting or like numerous other
1: things that like, yeah. you know, pay a lot of the bills for them, um, you know. And you for her, Patreon with... is the way she gets to do that. Yeah. And then some people try to get involved with Hollywood and you try to get totally. involved in a, in a different industry almost, but that uses the same skills. Totally. Totally.
0: Well, that's what uh, Alex Garland, who's like, you know, one of of my favorite directors, like he was a novelist who had one of his books optioned. And then he's like, Oh, I like this movie thing a lot. And it pays way better.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One thing that I've, I've heard um, people I know who write, uh, say about the experience of working as a writer um, alone versus working in a writer's room is that there's some kind of almost the, the blue collar sensibility to working? That's the wrong the wrong phrase. Not blue. It's not it's not a blue collar job. But it, there's this sort of clock in, clock out kind of discipline to the mm-hmm. life of working in a writer's room, mm-hmm. where it's it's more like professionalized in a certain way, yeah. and that brings with it a lot of different interesting you know new dynamics if you are somebody who's used to sitting it alone and like thinking and writing and having this you know self-imposed discipline as soon as you introduce other people to the mix all of a sudden you know you have to first to say nothing of all the other new skills that are involved in that you have to you know kind of have a new lifestyle a new like you know psychological approach to how you're engaging with your craft Right. It's kind of interesting to think about, even though, you know, a lot of, there are obviously a lot of transferable skills between these domains, but it's still this, this very different, you know, psychological space that you're in. That's totally. What totally. Yeah. No, I,
0: I mean, as have I, I think too, it's a, uh, you know, if folks are interested in this kind of like, you know, publishing like business side of this world, our, our um episode with Tobias Buckel from last year, uh, he talks a lot about like, you know, how he makes money and like what the like actual like life of a full-time author looks like. So that might be a, you know, interesting episode, just like on our podcast feed of like someone who like knows this a lot more intimately than we do, where it's like, we've talked to our friends who do it. <laughs> um, so that's cool. Yeah. So I think with that, there's sort of the, you know, uh, that's, that's book and author facts, unless there's anything else that we want to hit on. Um, so, you know, I think that the next question to answer is sort of like, you know, why we chose this book, we've talked about this a little bit. I mean, like, I've read it and like it, you want to read it. Um, but also sort of like, how does it fit in with other books we've read? Like, you know, why this book in particular, you know, I think, I think I will say, um, You know, one thing we talk a lot about is wanting to read standalone books so that we can, you know, like read it and then be done with it to some degree and not be like, well, we talked about the first one and there's five more in the series or whatever. And, um you know, the, the fifth season or the, the broken earth books might be the kind of like more obvious book to read for the podcast, but also like, they are just like one giant, like three novel and three parts in some ways. And I think would be really difficult for us to, to do any sort of justice to, you would either have to like try to read all three of them in a month or spend three months on it, or just kind of like read like one third of a story, which feels very unsatisfying. Um, where's this like stands alone really well. And like I said, it's just, I I think it's just such a great novel and it stands alone so perfectly and it's so perfectly self-contained. And um, I think too, like, I think a lot of people have heard of the broken earth trilogy and I want to highlight a little bit, like this book's really great. (laughs) Like there's a lot to talk about here too.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely excited about like seeing more of her catalog because it's all I assume it's also good. This seems really good. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I also really like, you know, the some of the some topics that this brings up, which are, you know, intimately related with a lot of other stuff that we've talked about in other books. The world building thing, I think, is mm-hmm. a really cool topic. This book and her work in general is like a really good entree into that, into talking mm-hmm. about that because she's she's so um, conscious of doing it, and she's so good at doing it while being conscious yep. of doing it. That it's, it's a great way to to think about some of those issues, which are very relevant to, like, every other book we've ever read. Totally. You know, when you think about science fiction, I think world building is a concept people often associate more with fantasy. But that's a little, you know... Really? Oh, arbitrary. I wouldn't say that at all.
0: Well, like just I, because in so my much head science fiction...
1: All. Yeah, so much science fiction takes place in the world, as, like, our world. Um, no, and- but
0: it's like... I don't know, maybe because, like, my science fiction has always been, like, vast, far future space opera stuff. But,
1: like, well, to me, exactly. that's always world building. Yeah. Like, that's not our world. I don't know. I, I've only ever had a discussion about world building in a fantasy context in my oh, life. okay. And, and so I think it's – that's probably the case for a lot of people. I think usually – every time I recall reading – um you know an essay written by a, an author about world building it's 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 always been a fantasy author you know i think that context people think of like the silmarillion do you know what i mean sure. and there's no there's no comparable science fiction silmarillion i think like i don't know of one um but that's kind of a random arbitrary distinction in a lot of ways i i mean i ultimately like i think It's obvious, if you think about it, that world building is just as important for science fiction as it is for, you know, aside from the genre boundaries being arbitrary and and sort of, you know, not needing could be drawn in lots of places. But, you know, whenever you're dealing with science fiction that's in any way different from the world as it is, you're necessarily doing world building, Mm -hmm. even if it is our Earth set five years from now, you know. So I, well, no, I I mean do I, think, I completely yeah. agree. Like yeah, you know, like
0: yeah. I like to the point of like I actually never even considered that people would think of like only fantasy is doing world building. It seems like
1: yeah, I, obviously all science fiction does. Well, so this is really why I wanted to read this book. So I mean I like or what I why I'm excited about it and how I think it relates to other books that we've read. It's a really cool opportunity to think about the way that the things that MK Jemison is really good at and like brings to the fore in in her discussions of her own work relate to the other stuff that we've read i think that's a really cool way to compare these works mm-hmm. so you know thinking about the sorts of things that she foregrounds we'll get into you know more of that later but the way that the way that she approaches a story i think is sort of starts with the world in a way that's mm-hmm. different from a lot of other authors, a lot of authors and quite reasonably, like you could do this, you know, there's no like rules for making stories, you know a lot, but a lot a lot of authors will start with a plot idea or they'll start with a character concept or they'll start with a genre that they like, mm-hmm. you know, or they'll start with like two things they want to combine or you know there's a lot of places to start when you're when you're starting a story. but I think NK Jemison, at least the way she's talked about it, starts with world building, which is a cool that's a cool thing to bring to how we think about like, you know, um, totally. Any, any of the other things that we've read really. Totally. So I think yeah. that's, that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe kind of worth
0: talking about some of the other books that we've read both for the podcast and just generally that kind of like, I think intersect with NK Jemison. I mean, like, I think that one of the obvious comps given that this is, and I don't, I don't want to talk too much about like what's fantasy and what science fiction, like we talked about that some in the Raven tower pre-read. And I think like, okay, cool. Like, it's all speculative fuck it don't get too caught up in you know genre conventions but that said like the raven tower definitely and maybe to some degree rupetta are these sort of like you know fantasy as opposed to science fiction stories that we've read and i think too like leckie and Jemison have some like maybe stylistic similarities in some way. Oh yeah. I don't know. yeah, like, yeah we, can, we can maybe talk I about that about. in the post read a little bit, but I'm I'm actually because that's the only uh Lecky that I've read. So I'm curious too how much that like extends to her other novels. But I think that's definitely yeah. this kind of like, you know, both being historical, like secondary world fantasy, but also like very different novels too. Like very different types of novels in a lot of way. Um Another thing for me that I always think of, especially um, comparing this book to other books that I've read, I think of Guy Gabriel K uh, and his like, what was it like, Under Heaven and River of Stars, like his two kind of like Chinese historical novels. I guess they actually take like very real like historical Chinese like events. I I, I don't know because I don't know China's history at all. Um, but then like treat them as like a fantasy novel and, and probably like compress and change them to some degree. But, uh, yeah, I, uh,
1: I haven't read, um, the under heaven, but, um, from what I understand, it takes the events depicted in, uh, the which is this Chinese, uh, uh, his, it's a history of, of, of China and in particular it takes the events around the An Lushan rebellion of 755 and spins a mm-hmm. really sweet, like fantasy epic out of it which it's like yeah. a great source for that because it's already a ridiculous fantasy epic story that happens to have been <laughs> you know in the historical record <laughs> Right. I didn't realize you hadn't read. It. I thought that you had read one of his, his one of those. No, I, I I know the story. I think what happened is I started reading it and I was like, oh, I, I this just, is just identical to the. <laughs> I <laughs> okay, I've, right. I've read it in a different form.
0: Put it that way. <laughs> right. Right. Fair enough. I do. One of the I I do love the like um, climax of that novel is essentially like men reciting poetry to each other in this like just beautiful scene, um, and there's also some of like that kind of like you know this like big stately like you know like imperial court thing going on in both this novel and in in those novels that i think like are a nice comp for each other so if you like climaxes that are like you know men sitting around yeah. reading poetry to each other like these books
1: <laughs> might be for you yeah yeah the <laughs> other thing that it's based on is the the poem the long poem the song of everlasting sorrow mm. which mm-hmm. is a. Uh, a sweet classic (laughs) These things are amazing i'm a i'm a big fan um um and you know i can see why you you do the the comparison because like you know there's this historical setting thing going on right 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 Um, so you 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 were particularly interested in that i think right yeah i I think it's awesome
0: too i really like that element of this book i also you know i so in sixth grade we spent an entire semester just learning about ancient Egypt. I don't know if this is like a normal thing for sixth graders to do, or if this is some weird Alaskan thing, or even just like my fucking sixth grade teacher or what, but, um, yeah, it's a so great like
1: ang- choice. <laughs> <laughs> I did not do that. And that sounds amazing.
0: <laughs> it was really cool. Um, and like ancient Egypt is wild. And I mean, like I said earlier, too, like, you know, we think of ancient Egypt as one thing and like, OK, I mean, like one of the cool things is it is like this one both geographical place and also there's this very real like lineage of like political longevity to it. Um, but the like history of Egypt is like double the history of Europe and it ended before the history of Europe was like barely getting started. Right. Like, like the history of Egypt is just so long and deep and goes from this kind of like ancient, like almost like prehistory, like, you know, lost to the mists of time, to the development of writing and these settlements and agriculture. And then it just like kept going and going and going and going. I mean, you know, one of the fun facts people love to pull out is that like, you know, Cleopatra, the last of the Pharaohs is closer to us than she was to the building of the pyramids, much less like the original pharaohs. Like there's more time passed between the pyramids and like Greece than between Greece and now. Um, Because Cleopatra was like one of the Hellenistic pharaohs. It was this sort of like the Greeks went and took over Egypt to a degree. Um, But even then like the, you know, the distance between like the last of the, the like, you know, Egyptian Pharaohs and us is like shorter than the last of the Egyptian Pharaohs and the first of the Egyptian Pharaohs. It's just this like incredibly long, deep history that had so much stuff go on and had, you know, you know, there's the Egyptians and then there were also like the Kush empire and like this history actually kind of plays into some elements of this novel, um, where it's like, there's these various empires and kingdoms. And like, you know, at one point the like Kush empire, which is based in like, kind of like South of Egypt, like where Sudan is now ended up, like there were a bunch of military engagements. The Kush like took over and won eventually, but instead of like winning and like Assimilating Egyptian culture into their own, like they assimilated into Egyptian culture. So they became pharaohs and they like moved their capital up to like closer to Cairo. And all of a sudden it was just like, you know, like the Kush won, but like the Egyptian culture won in this very like interesting real way. And just like that, that could happen. 2000 years into the history of this empire and there's still another like 1500 years of history left to go it is fucking wild to me it's so cool
1: (laughs) it is so cool i love it too it's it's just (laughs) the best and so like you know that's an amazing setting and like you know i wish that i were an egyptologist or that i like knew more about (laughs) it to get into that more but what we you know one thing i i i maybe can contribute is to just think about like historical settings for speculative fiction generally as a as a as a as a move as a play to run if you're if you're an author or as a thing to be interested in if you're a reader Mm -hmm. i think it's this really interesting you know choice that people make i mean often historical fiction is considered a sort of separate thing and there are certainly like you know there's a lot of differences between like wolf hall and this book (laughs) obviously like wolf hall is the is the the you know the novel about uh um uh thomas cromwell who was you know, oh, a real okay. figure totally. in right. uh, the court of Henry VIII and all of the political machinations that he was involved with. And, mm. you know, it, it follows right. his real life I always life think very of, closely. like,
0: Pillars of Earth, which is, you know, sort of like the sure. historical
1: yeah. retelling of the building of a cathedral, which, like, what yeah, a great yeah, yeah. topic for a novel. I know, it's amazing. So there's, like, great historical novels that are, uh, you know, that you, you can see why people would sort of, like, not associate that with speculative fiction that takes historical mm-hmm. information as its basis, but they're not that different. <laughs> and like, there's no, also, like... I think
0: they're not, I feel like the readership can be similar at times yeah. too. Like, like a lot of the people I know who like reading fantasy have also read pillars of earth because like, okay, there's no magic in it, but
1: it's like about the same shit. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely feel that too. Or like, um, uh, uh, Game of Kings, the, the Dorothy Dunnett books are like these. incredible historical fiction about, um set in the 1500s in scotland involving uh, the late 1500s in scotland involving all the sort of political machinations and skullduggery and like adventure and like strange crazy shit going on um actually i might be off but it's it's either the 16th or the 17th century in scotland i can't remember it's been a while but those books i mean Every person I know who likes those books is basically like a person who reads a lot of fantasy and science fiction like <laughs> mm-hmm, those mm-hmm. books are are like made for you if you love if you love these genres you'll probably love those books too. So there's this really interesting way that historical stuff and speculative fiction bleed into each other but like maybe we think they're more different than they are maybe we think they're less different right. than they are. Right:
0: Well, and I think it's worth you know pointing out, like as we're talking about this, a lot of the kind of like historical fiction as well as like fantasy fiction, both really take their that we think of and is popular, et cetera, etc, cetera, like really take their cues from Europe and like European history, whether it's like Game of Thrones being based on War of the Roses or whatever bullshit, or it's, you know, I mean the, the Temeraire books, which you and I both love by Naomi Novik, like being set in the Napoleonic Wars and like, it's all really cool stuff, but it is very much like based on this kind of like European history that we're all pretty well aware of. Whereas, you know, doing something like ancient Egyptian history in a fantasy, I think lets you play around with stuff similar again. Why like Guy Gavriel Kay's uh, books being like this Chinese history, It's like in some ways it feels almost more fantastical to me because it is this like it's these real historical events, but that I don't know anything about that don't have the same like valence to me in some ways. And so I get to like learn about them, but also like come at this like fantasy world building from a very different angle in a way that to me is really satisfying
1: as a reader. Oh, yeah, I I totally agree. I I love doing historical fiction outside of European countries inside of European countries is fun, too, but there's just so much available you know, so Guy Gabriel Kay, for example, has written stuff set in uh, the, Middle, the Middle East, um, mm-hmm. also in also Italy. Also like Venice and stuff, which I've yeah. never read his like
0: European ones because in some ways I'm not as interested as, <laughs>
1: you know. Yeah. I mean, it, it also, there's there's all these other interesting things too. I mean, obviously people have probably, you know, heard of a lot of these things. But it's just interesting to, I, I think it's interesting even to take this famous stuff and kind of compare it in new ways. You know, like yeah, totally. thinking about the 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 choices that NK NK Jemison is making in this book compared to similar choices when you're setting up some, you know, historical fiction. So the other thing that's interesting is like she's doing historical fiction, kind of, but in a secondary world, and it's right. really an interesting choice right. to like do a lot of research and bring a lot of that kind of very specific um, cultural knowledge to bear on making a new culture that isn't the same thing. Mm -hmm. There's even a little note Mm -hmm. in the beginning of the book where she sort of talks a little bit about how she made these choices and, like, why she decided to make it a secondary world at the end of the day instead of just setting it in ancient Egypt. And one thing she says is that it's partly because it gives her the leeway to not get it exactly right and focus more on the things that she's interested in rather than, like, the accuracy, which would Mm -hmm. maybe be more important if you're dealing with... uh, you know, like historical fiction. directly, yeah. And
0: it is, it does make for this interesting thing too. It's one of the interesting things in that, um, essay is that it also, it's like, in some ways it makes these things she doesn't have to worry about accuracy in the same way, but she almost has to worry about the opposite of like being purposefully inaccurate, like not being so close that it's like grading to someone who actually knows something about Egypt. Right. And this kind of like interplay and back and forth of like, who is yeah. the audience exactly? Like how close do I have to be? I think she, she walks a fun line for that. Yeah. So a few, I'm curious of a few other like comps or similar books or sort of like, you know, like comparisons here that you might, you might think of, I know we'd both talked about Zelazny earlier. Yeah, for sure.
1: As like Zelazny comes to mind immediately. Right. Partly because I think his book, The Dream Master is, is interested in, some similar dream stuff. And mm-hmm. Le Guin's The Life of Heaven is also, you know, something that I thought of reading this. I mean there's oh, interesting. you could point to I
0: think immediately the word for world is forest because of the like dream stuff in
1: in that yeah. novel. Yeah, yeah. She that's another good one. I mean, I, I was just gonna say there's so many books by those two authors who I think yeah are are like right, you know, immediately come to mind when I think about this book. And it's and since I love both of those authors, it's like <laughs> it's like it's pretty great. Uh, right. to get the chance to, yeah. uh, this chance. This, this is one of those books that I'm like so glad that somebody wrote it. I never would have thought of it. Like Killing Moons so far is one of those books that's just like, man, I would not have occurred to me to combine these things in this way. Right, right. But I am so glad somebody <laughs> did. <laughs>
0: there, there is, you know, I like I'm thinking about you, know, we talk a lot about like legacy and lineage and that kind of stuff in science fiction. And it does really feel like N.K. Jemisin is like, like Zelazny and Le Guin are like directly in her lineage. And I don't, I don't know if this is like true. I haven't heard her like specifically talk about it. Um, You know, like what she read as a kid or what she's basing her works on yeah. or whatever, but like they feel very much like in the same kind of general conversation and like talking and like working yeah. about the same topic. For in sure. A very yeah. I way. would
1: say Octavia Butler is another direct lineage yeah. person. Um, mm-hmm. She's, you know, amazing. And she's been upfront she- about that too. And K. yeah, yes. Yeah. And that's another another one that comes to mind, especially the the kind of Octavia Butler that I've read that's more secondary worldy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, she did write a lot of stuff that was set on Earth and like, you know, recognizable, you know, times and places. Right. I mean, but, she
0: wrote like historical fiction
1: and right. Kindred. yeah. Mm-hmm. But she also wrote stuff that is a lot less recognizable, or it's like only tangentially related to real history, which I think is is more getting into the stuff that that NK Jemison tends to do. And that's right. that's which really which books?
0: Because I haven't read a lot of Butler. Like, I've just read her short well, stories. Well, so she
1: has. So um, she, she has stuff that's set in like the far future. She has stuff right. that's set in like that's like high, like I guess high magic, but like it's like our oh. world, but it's like societies of people that are like outside of normal society in our world. Cool, um, and they have their whole own society thing going on with their all which, their which own. Which books are those? I'm thinking of Patternist books okay, okay, yes, sorry, i don't of, I don't know anything yeah. so i'm 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 actually there's the a lot of patternist books, ones. so cool. you know I think that that stuff is more kind of what and it's closer to what n k jemis is doing than you know kindred um but mm-hmm. you know definitely there's a lot of like <laughs> it's it's really cool to think of those lineages too because it's because they're so n k Jemisin is so interested in secondary worlds that mm-hmm. I think it's it's really cool to. Think about the lineages of secondary worlds as a concept. You know, I mean, one of my favorite things to think about with that is that two hundred years ago, there was not a trope of writing something set in a secondary world. Right. That concept, that sort of like that's
0: new literary technology, essentially.
1: Exactly. Exactly. That's that's a, a modern era literary technology thing, and the very first like self consciously secondary world books weren't being written until like the 19 teens the 19 aughts the 19 teens what are you thinking of specifically there so there's uh the worm of Ouroboros, which was around 1920 Mm -hmm. which is often cited by tolkien as his inspiration for even thinking of doing a project like lord of the rings the worm of Ouroboros, even that it's like entirely set in the secondary world except that they do have this like tiny insignificant frame story that's like two pages at the very beginning and two pages at the very end of it, like a really long book. <laughs> and the frame story is set in our world, but so it's, it's like, it's like important transitional work, right. you know? And, and like, um, there were a couple of other things. Uh, let me, Cause like
0: one of the things that came to mind to me is actually, um, like Midsummer Night's dream, which is much earlier than that. But it's like, you know, these kind of like, you know, that's just one example of like stories of the fae or fairy and this right. kind of like right. alternate fairy dimension that exists. As sort of like, you know, the, the one thing I could think of. Because even ultimately, like, you know, Tolkien, uh, like Middle Earth is Earth. It's like just
1: historical Europe, essentially, like deep historical, yeah, yeah, mythological yeah. Europe. The, the, the critical, I think, piece of the new literary technology is the idea that the thing I'm describing is an, is a completely made-up world. it isn't right. like It isn't like this sort of different version of our world. It isn't like the far future or mm-hmm. the far past. It isn't like the realm of the gods, which is adjacent to our world. It is just right. a completely made up. Okay. World. I was going to ask about that. So yeah, I was going to say yeah. the other thing I
0: could think of are like the, you know, like Olympus or, right. or, uh, the, you know, those the, are the, yeah. the
1: Norse myths, that kind of thing. Yeah. Those are, those are definitely things that I think like, you know, there's a lot of stories that go way, way, way back that are like, you know, have many of the attributes of the secondary world, but like as a conscious thing, as something like, oh, I'm going to set out to do this thing and it has a name. It's called like a secondary world story. Like that mm-hmm. is very new. And I think it's really Would you consider
0: Narnia to be secondary world fantasy?
1: That's on the on the edge. But by that point, I think there were other things that were doing it more that, that are more obvious. You know what I mean? By, right. by the 50s or 40s, you've got more examples of stuff that's like actually obviously that. Yeah. You know what I mean? especially in the yeah pulp. yeah no,
0: that's why i'm curious because it feels like kind of on the edge here and i'm like, right. where, where, where
1: the edge is for right. you yeah i think the, the the stuff that starts this out is like the pulps do a lot of this work you know so you've got things like uh edgar rice Burroughs mars stories yeah. Barsoom stories that's like yep. kind of secondary world kind of the right. only difference is like oh the main character actually or you have like hollow earth right yeah 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 and then all the all the pulp stuff from the from the uh 30s and 40s, like the 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 Doc Smith books, you know, or whatever. Right. Yeah. Conan the Barbarian. Conan is a a good example. Where exactly does it fit? Like Samaria is a great example of something that's like basically a secondary world. Like, I mean, it's it's really basically just just that. (laughs) So but I think it's just really cool because, you know, the difference to me is, you know, in the 1900s or sorry, in the 19th century, in the 1800s, You have like the works of Dunsany, like Elf World and stuff, or you have the works of like various other fantasies, you know, your 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 sort of Mm -hmm, your mm -hmm. Poe fantasies or your um Gautier, like flights of fantasy fancy, like crazy, like weird psychedelic stories set in like dreams or something. You know, which which are Lewis Carroll, maybe. Yeah. Like the difference to me, the key thing about a secondary world is that the author does a certain amount of work to like set up separate rules and separate like facts about this world kind of beyond the mm-hmm. narrative of the story itself. Right. So that's the, I guess that to your point of world building, like right. they do world building exactly like self-consciously. So that's the difference yep. between like a, a, a sort of story about the gods or a story about, you know, a travel to a far like, you know, Orlando Furioso from, the 1500s, you know, involves like a chivalric knight going to other planets. Box. I know, yeah. or like the Blazing World <laughs> by Margaret Cavendish involves going to another dimension. Again, love bringing up this book. <laughs> I know they're, they're classics of, of, of like this is like the the deep prehistory of all the shit that we love, um, and like they do things that are similar, but like, I mean, the closest actually to to any of these things are are, are going to be those those types of works because they are creating other worlds that sort of have rules you know Mm -hmm. the blazing world Mm -hmm. the titular blazing world is another dimension that like it doesn't really have rules but like it it has you know there's like or like you know gulliver's travels like when he goes to these other places there are kind of there are there's a sort of a sense like each place he goes to obeys certain rules and like has a kind of uh uh, an existence beyond the story a little kind of Mm -hmm. not quite but Mm -hmm. but there's a big difference between that to me and like lord of the rings like the world building that went into lord of the rings you know what i mean right right well i think lord of the rings in particular has like
0: even beyond a lot of fantasy or whatever that came the genre that came afterwards had a lot of this like focus not on just how does the world exist now but like this world has a history this world has like its own deep history and i think that sort of you know speaking of like you know narrative technology or literary technology or whatever i think that's in some ways the innovation of those books yeah also lewis carroll because totally. like narnia also has its own like really long history that's important to the story yeah and that's and exactly lewis
1: carroll, uh, cs lewis that's exactly what i what i mean i think that's the thing the, the worm of Ouroboros, for example does um it's mm-hmm. it has its own history separate from the Um, separate from the story and that like is often sort of referred to in the story. It also has maps. You know, it has these materials that that exist beyond the story that are completely made up.
0: That is in some ways, though, where I feel like, you know, okay, maybe the old like Greek and Roman myths like less so. But the like old North Norse myths do have some element of this, like, you know, long history and these characters who show up over and over again. And like, you're only going to understand this story if you know, like the previous story where they, you know, were enemies and like they're friends now. But like, mm, you know, and it's like this (laughs) kind of like history there. But again, like, granted, those are in a lot of ways, you know, sort of like a long amalgamation of many different types of stories that get like bundled together over like a really long history period of time. So obviously there's different stuff going on there. Um, but I do <laughs> wonder to what degree, you know, I mean, even bright. I get another way of putting this is that uh, 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 Tolkien was like self-consciously trying to create a mythology for England that it didn't have, right? Like he was self-consciously like, trying to do some of the stuff that like the Norse myths had just like done by chance over a long period right. of time of many different people telling them. Uh, and so there's, there's definitely that lineage exists in the secondary totally. world building. buildings in some ways just being like, what are they doing? Well, they're not like, what can I ape from that to exactly. like try to make this exactly. feel more I- mythic?
1: Yeah. It's, 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 it's awesome. It's just like one level of abstraction beyond the last level mm-hmm. of abstraction. It's Mm -hmm. that's one thing I absolutely love about it. Right. So I I
0: guess, you know, I said we weren't going to talk about genre, but in some ways that's what genre is. Right. It's like (laughs) a bunch of people do stuff. And then afterwards, people are like, what? How do these fit? And then once you have those tropes, then once you've articulated them, people like look to the tropes instead of to the actual things other people have done. Uh, This is
1: this is why I'm always inclined to think about genre primarily in terms of lineage of ideas mm-hmm. because i think mm-hmm. like it's this it's this label that you apply after the fact usually or mm-hmm. or if you're or not like applying, a- at its best it is yeah. or if you're an I mean, author it's not the only thing it is yeah but. yeah no it's not because i mean for one thing if you're an author and you want to write a new book and you're thinking man i want to write a like conan book well what you're mm-hmm. doing is a lineage like procedure you're like doing a procedure on you're like taking stuff from a specific lineage that you like and then you're like applying it in your own way right. And so in that case right. too it sort of becomes this thing that's about what other books are you related to Specifically. Right. What other authors? And
0: well, there is the interesting thing now of like, you know, do you want to write a Conan book because you read the Conan stories and really like them? Or do you want to write a sword and sorcerer or a sword and sandals book because you read the like sword and sandals section of TV tropes.com and like those, tro- <laughs> right? Like, like there's yeah. almost this element of like, yeah. what level of abstraction are you looking at the history through? Oh yeah. Um, that I think sometimes, you know, something again to bring it back to, um, the killing moon for instance like I think one of the cool things that N.K. jemison is doing is she's not looking at like what are the things fantasy stories do but she's more like let's take a historical era and like see how that inspires me let's take historical things let's take a culture that people don't tend to talk about and see how that inspires me instead of being like well we got to have the magic users and we got to have you know it's like it doesn't feel like she's taking it tropes first and then yeah. applying that to a oh, history yeah. she's taking a history and then writing about it.
1: So this reminds me of a thing I wanted to say about world building. Do you want to talk world building more specifically now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's go. Let's, let's do, do it. it. Let's move into so that. So I was thinking about this. I have a lot of thoughts about world building. One thing I just wanted to start and say, and like, see what you think about Adrian is mm-hmm. I think there's different questions that you can ask about a world building process. Right. And these questions are maybe one way of framing how we think about how different authors build worlds differently. What are the things that matter when one world builds and that sort of thing. So here are the questions I was thinking about. One of them, the first one is what you just reminded me of what you were talking about. And that's, I think, what order are you doing things when you're making a world? Mm -hmm. What do you start Mm -hmm. with? What do you go to next? Mm -hmm. What do you go to after that? You know, one example Mm -hmm. might be, you know, a way that I think, you know, I'm going to refer to Brandon Sanderson uh, because he's a guy who's written a lot and talked a lot yeah. about how he thinks about world building. Right. Like Jemison, he's another like person Jemison. who's kind of influential yeah. because he writes a lot about it. And I think it's useful to contrast him with Jemison. Both of them have very different approaches. So I think so. Yeah. Sanderson. Um,
0: Not that one is better than the
1: other. No, I yeah, mean, obviously one is, but like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, <laughs> no I mean like even if you don't even if Brandon Sanderson isn't your favorite author maybe you could imagine somebody else taking this method and doing it differently and maybe doing it in a way oh, that you totally would, like, yeah
0: I, I mean I am teasing right yeah. like I, I think there's
1: value to what he does yeah so specifically the order that he operates I think often he starts with powers and rules that's sort of the, the the first thing that he wants mm-hmm. to do when mm-hmm. he's thinking about a new story. He's like, "Oh man, I want to come up with some powers for people to have and some rules for how those powers work, based on right. you know this idea or based on that idea." Right. And then after that, he might think about genre. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, given those powers, what if I were to write a detective story? Or, okay, given those powers, what if I were to write a epic fantasy that is going to be like mm-hmm. a billion books long? And you know, that's what I want to write. And then after that, he will start on the the world and the characters and the plot. And that's one way to approach building a world that, you know, that could work very well.
0: I always think about him as kind of like board gamey or video
1: gamey, where it's like
0: you start with the like game mechanics and then you ask, okay, what sorts of you know, theme can I put on top of these game mechanics to like make a coherent,
1: you know, experience for the player. Yeah, that's definitely one way to approach it. I mean, you know, another way, the N. N- Jemison approach is is very different. One thing that she has done, which she's talked about in that presentation I mentioned that we'll, we can link to, um, she'll start with a concept for the physical reality of the place where her stuff's going to take, where her, her story's going to happen. Right, so she right. will start with, what is this planet that this is going to be on? How big is the planet? Like, does it have multiple moons? Does it have continents? What do they look like? What are the weather patterns? You know, mm-hmm. she starts at a really, really macro scale. And then she sort of gradually zooms in. And so she does, like, mm-hmm. culture before she does politics. This is not, these are, you know, this is my interpretation of reading her materials that she's written about world building. She may or may not agree with what I'm saying. But my, my impression is she sort of is doing this, like, big going to small Type of approach, and so she gets to right. characters at the end, and by the t- right before she's gotten to characters, she's created all this stuff such that she could maybe make a bunch of different kinds of characters, and it, and and she's put herself in a, you know, she's produced a like robust system, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it that that like has the characteristics of a well designed like software system in that you know it would be easy for her to, yeah. to instantiate new objects in the system because she's built all the all the other stuff layer by layer. Well, and
0: one thing I do know about her process is that this is part, like, one thing she'll do is as she or, like, once she feels somewhat comfortable with it, she doesn't then go start with her novel. She actually tends to start with short stories because it is kind of, like, an iterative way of, like, working out how the world works. Like, that is what Narcomancer, the the short story I alluded to earlier, is, is it's her saying, like, okay, I have this world. Let's, like, write some stories in it and see, like, what those stories feel like and what types of characters fit within it like what I can do inside of this world. Like let's let's start like you know almost like QA testing the software I yeah. built. <laughs> if you no, if I mean, you want to continue awesome. that metaphor. Yeah,
1: no, I I just think it's such a smart approach and it w- works really well for her. But what's mm. really cool is you know it's not I think
0: it's also probably sorry, sorry, I just had this thought. It's probably yeah. also why up until the 5th season it's like she was able to write the you know she had the Inheritance Trilogy and the Dreamblood Duology none of the stories of which particularly like match with each other, right? Like what's important in these stories is actually the like world stays the same. Not that the stories tell one big story. And yeah. it's like another element of her being able to do this. Cause like she has this world that she built and that's what she's writing in. Not a,
1: you know, long epic narrative that she built and that's what she's writing in. Yeah, totally. But that's the, that, that's the other thing is that you could just as easily have a, yet a third approach or a fourth or a fifth. I mean, one third approach, that comes to mind that a lot of authors probably do is they start with not a world at the, at the, at the highest level, not a, a rules or a system, but they start with like, yeah, they start with like a conceit, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, like the conceit. Right. The like conce- I want to tell this story. Yeah. How do I tell that story? Yeah. What if there were two people who were in love, but like one of them was a werewolf cyber werewolf spy, you know, <laughs> <laughs> sure <laughs> and the other one was a you know geologist you know wizard I don't know right well I, or or I think just like the idea of like oh I have this particular
0: story I've been thinking about like what would the setting look like to fit that right. story what sort of stuff do I need to be able to tell this story and then the world building becomes like what do I need to tell this story not like what are the rules that I have to work with it to tell this story. Yeah. And so
1: a person who comes to mind who maybe has talked about this is Chris Beckett. When in your interview with him talking about the the way that he um, put together Eden slowly, you know, over many years, starting with Mm -hmm. that short story and then then building out, like that is, you know, yet another way of approaching this. And I don't think it's, I don't think there's anything wrong with it at all as an approach. It doesn't seem like-
0: And that's actually interesting because that's almost like he almost didn't start with this. I mean, he did like write a story that he started with, but in a lot of ways he started with themes. He was like, I want to talk about these specific ideas. I actually think about Chris Beckett and Alex Garland, who I mentioned earlier, like as both these authors who really like care about ideas and themes. And part of why they work within science fiction is because science fiction is like an easy way to like make literal certain ideas and just to be able to like, talk about it. Like Garland has actually like spoken a lot about this, about how like he works in, he works in genre film almost exclusively now, Whereas he was a literary author when he was writing and he's like, because I always wanted to talk about ideas. And just over time, I realized that like science fiction wants you to talk about ideas. Whereas like literary fiction kind of makes it hard to sometimes (laughs) like the characters just have to say the ideas to each other instead of you getting to build it into the
1: world. Yeah. That is cool. I like, which is
0: like, which is, which is cool. And I think, I think Beckett
1: thinks in a a similar way, like the way his, his writing works, works very similar. Yeah. So that to me is one question to ask about a world building process. Another question you might ask is how much world building are you doing or are they doing the author as a separate amount of as a separate task or set of tasks unconnected from the actual story?
0: Right. Well, and I think this is sometimes the phrase world building gets used to mean this one specific thing, which is like info dumps, like world building can sometimes be used in a pejorative way to mean like, non-plot non-character stuff that happens on the page and it's just like i think when people talk about world building in a dismissive or like negative way it's because they're using the word to mean just this one thing of like oh man the like fucking author went on like five pages of just like the history of this like one like meal that the characters are eating and like i don't give a shit yeah and like i can understand why you wouldn't give a shit in the context of the plot But also, like, you know, there's the, like, they might have done that and not put it on the page, and it's still world-building. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So that's a really important distinction to add to this. I love that. Because, like, on the one hand, how much world-building are you doing? On the other hand, how much world-building are you showing? And this actually is something N.K. Jemisin talks about a And how are you showing it? Yeah. So N.K. Jemisin talks about, um, in some of her world-building materials, the Immersion Pyramid. different, you know, with reference to like different ways of showing the world building that you've done. So that's like immersion in the world, right? So a low immersion strategy would involve uh distant third person, multiple POVs, omniscient narrator. So, you know, you're, you're the like Dune style shit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like why I've never been able to read Dune <laughs> <laughs> or for that matter, Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah, which is, yeah, that's the, and and like, so, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of far out. There's going to be more information. Like it's, you're, you're less immersed, but there's more information. So that's the base of the pyramid. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you're just dealing with a lot of information at a low level of immersion. As you move up the period you get to like high immersion would be like first person or second person really close in on one character and by doing that you don't need to display as much information directly to the reader about the world you can kind of allow the experience to to, it's like a tight focus you know Mm -hmm. um and you're just like moving the lens around and Mm -hmm. they'll they'll see what they see and that's kind of how they're being given information but in fact, you know, you could imagine doing info dumps in, in different circumstances. But anyway, this right. is—I I love your point. I think it's a really important distinction—not just how much world building you, but you do, you do, but how much do you show? Right, right.
0: And it is interesting because, like, you know, Jemison actually tends to show a fair amount. And, but one of the ways that she does it is by—and this seems to hold true across all the books of hers that i i was going to say that i've read i've read all of her books um but like she likes to do this thing where like any individual chapter tends to have a really tight narrow focus like it's a close up picture of this like one character and the like events that they are in um usually like close uh, third or second person because she does some second person stuff. I guess some first person stuff too. Anyway, like she plays around with the person a lot, but it's all this very like close kind of like one character focused stuff. But then she'll have interludes. She'll have like chapters between the chapters where she like does just more like general historical type stuff or she'll have like, you know, one thing she does, which I just love is she'll have these like, you know, texts that exist within the novels and instead of having like like she'll have just like every chapter start with a quote from one of these texts and it's just like one or two sentences and like any individual one might not tell you a whole lot, but over the like course of the book, you're also like reading this historical text like sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph in a really like fun way. She does it with this book. She does it with, um, and she doesn't even like tell you that she's doing it it just kind of is there at the beginning of every chapter and you slowly realize like oh that's what this thing is at the beginning of the chapter she does it to great effect in in fifth season in particular but she also does it here i and i I love i love these techniques of being able to do like to do both to like Mm -hmm. you know it's so it's almost like uh like the the movie lawrence of arabia where it's like so much of it is about this like one person and this like tight focus on like lawrence and his like psychological stuff that he's dealing with like through this story but then also like the movie is willing to just like have like a four minute long shot like set up of the cameras on a tripod and it's dark and like you see the sunrise and like that's the entire shot
1: yeah that's why that movie is so amazing god yeah so good and uh. I feel
0: like there's elements of that in this in this world building that N.K. Jemisin does in her oh, writing yeah. style.
1: I, she's so good at this. And this is what I think we mean when we say that she's so good at this. These little mm-hmm. sorts of details. The depth mm-hmm. to which she's thought about her choices that she's making. Right. So that's, that's That yet she's another... done
0: all this research and she
1: doesn't have the need to show it to you all right away or even exactly. ever. Yeah. But what's interesting about how she talks about world building is, you know, like... I think she takes what I think is the right approach, which is, you know, there are choices she makes, but it's not about what choices she makes. It's about understanding what the choices are and why you might make one rather than another. Mm -hmm. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, she acknowledges like you may well want to do something that involves a lot more like 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 telling readers about the world. Like I think she would say The Silmarillion is a good book. I think she likes it a lot. And that's just a very different strategy. It's a different approach.
0: And there's also, I mean, like, there's like the same author can have different approaches depending on what their goal is. Like, you know, your approach in a short story is probably going to be different than in a novel, than in a interconnected book full of short stories. Then, you know, it's like these different yeah. things have different valences and different like needs to be successful.
1: Yeah, no, I love it. So that's an- that's that's yet another couple of questions about world building. Another question that occurs so to I've me. A- Oh yeah, go ahead.
0: Oh, I, I was just curious, Matt. Like, I have a question for you. If I can, like, throw do you it. a curveball question, which is, do like, it. What are what are some books of yours that are just like you're like you think of world building? You think like, oh, shit, this bo- is, this is just the book that does it. Maybe you know, maybe it does characters well or not. Maybe it does plot well or not. But like that fucking world building man, like this book is it. It has it. Or like maybe authors or something. Oh, we're talking man. a lot about N.K. Jemisin, so I'm curious about a few of your personal favorites beyond her man, that is tough.
1: It's tough. I mean, I think I love getting to put you on a spot with a question. Yeah, no, it's good. I like <laughs> I like that question. I like that question. I don't have an answer right away. I'd have to think about it. I think um, I mean, I've sort of already mentioned books that I think of when I think about the history of of secondary worlds. I, you know, world building is it's really interesting because a lot of people don't Do, like, I think there's a lot more great books than there are great worlds. Interesting.
0: Yeah, that's Um, fair.
1: I think making a really great world is something that I honestly associate more with role-playing scenarios than with book writing scenarios. Yeah,
0: tell me some of those then. Like, you know, I'm always, I I view RPGs as literature, so, like, that is a very valid answer to
1: me. Yeah, well, I think it's interesting because, like... It's almost like, you know, world building is is part of writing a good story, but it's only part of it and you can you can Well, that's do why I'm asking a, like what books yeah. are like good at world building instead of like what are good books. So, one way to think about this question that occurs to me is to think about what worlds are so attractive that they spawn entire genres. And so, from that perspective, I think something like Journey to the West, which we talked about a lot right. before, is is amazing world building. I mean, because okay, it's really, for,
0: I, want, I want to know you personally, Matt. I want to know. Like, I love Matt, Journey what to the West. Worlds yeah, do, no, Okay. Worlds,
1: okay. No, no, I, I mentioned it, but that, but that, I that freaking answer of like
0: what spawns entire genres is like okay. Well, that's telling me what other people think are good worlds. No, building. no, no. That's like that doesn't tell me what one you approach, personally think.
1: No, no, it does. That's one approach that I might take. Like I don't have one answer for this question, so I kind of can't. Mm -hmm. I can't give you like one book. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm 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 working through. I mean, you can give
0: me books, though. I mean, like you can give me individual books. Yeah, I just did.
1: Right, I just did. I don't know what you want from me. This is how I approach answering that question. I approach answering it by thinking through different ways to answer it that Mm -hmm. might be appealing. Out for different reasons so one mm-hmm. way of answering that would be to think okay what things do i really love that have spawned whole genres that i love like journey of the right. west is a, is a perfect example i mean i think like sherlock holmes is another great example of that because it's a very different kind of thing
0: whereas journey of the west is sherlock is really creating homes world building though in a way is it the world building of that i, I don't it's know. not a
1: secondary world obviously but like the the world that exists uh put it this way like and like I think of fiction. that as more
0: of like a tech literary technique than like world building in particular, because I, I, I see what
1: you're saying totally. The reason the reason I, I I think about it in terms of this question is because crime fiction as we know it depends on Sherlock Holmes in a really profound way. I mean, you know, the I know, I one hundred percent agree. Yeah. So and and like one of the, the, the ways that it depends on it so profoundly isn't just like the sort of set of plots or whatever. It's also like, how does this world work? The, well, the way the world works is that there are these people called criminals and they're like somehow professionals at being criminals. You know, I mean, like we have to remember, by the way, that like obviously crime existed before this type of fiction. But like criminals since this type of fiction have really done a lot of work to define themselves in terms of it, in terms of these tropes. So there's a kind of a co-creative process going on between the fiction and the actual mm-hmm. criminals. You know, I mean, how many actual criminals love Scarface, right? Like how many right. like right modern mo- like modern yakuza love Sonatina, the like fucking yakuza <laughs> right. movie from the early night. 90- like that's just the right. way. It or works. like Michael
0: Mann movies. Like how many like
1: bank robbers have like you know watched exactly. TV or whatever and fucking it, love ex- it. Fucking exactly right. So the the things are interrelated, and so I think like when you go back to like um the sort of earliest most like memetically potent kinds of crime fiction. What they're doing is they're positing this sort of way that a world is working where you have these people who are criminals, you have these people who are detectives. The whole concept of a detective, right? Right. Somebody who's a professional, like that job didn't really, like despite the Pinkertons or whatever, like that job didn't really exist as we conceive of it. You know what I mean? And so without that... Still doesn't in some way. I mean, like, that's a job that exists
0: in, like, literature, not in the real world. Like, a PI does much more boring shit than, like, whatever it
1: is that Sherlock Holmes is doing. Exactly. Exactly. And so without that, I kind of see where you're going with that. Without that, you don't get Dashiell Hammond. Like, you know what I mean? You don't get the big sleep. You don't get, like, um, you know, Georges Simenon. Like, you don't get, like any of the other classic or the or the gentleman thief. You know, you don't even get the gentleman thief, I don't think, without Sherlock I know, Holmes. I know. You know what I mean? Lupin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Guy Boothsby. So so Sherlock Holmes gives us Guy Boothsby, gives us Arsène Lupin, gives us Lupin the third. You know, like yeah. there's all yeah that's another lineage. And that lineage goes back at least in part to the world building of Arthur Conan Doyle. Mm-hmm. So that's another, it's so that's,
0: interesting, though, that you call that world building. Because I would have called that like that. Like the, when I think of Sherlock Holmes, I think of the literary technique of like it is possible to figure out the answer to the problem. But I don't think but, of like world right. building so much as like the
1: literary technique. No, I, so I think I think that you're right. That's part of it. I just think there's another part of it too, which is yeah. what is the problem? <laughs> like in it, right. like that procedure. What are we applying that procedure to? Well, we're applying totally. it, you know, in this world, which has these rules, you know, like it, it mm. looks like our world, but like, there's this, like, there's this, uh, you know, uh, to, to quote like this guy who appeared on the podcast, Crime Town, there's like, there's a government of the United States and then there's a government of crime, you know, there's an empire <laughs> and then there's an empire of crime, you know, it's like, this almost <laughs> right, this right. total, like Mori, the concept of Moriarty and like this like shadow mm. empire of criminals, right? You know, this, like, vast conspiracy. obviously, right, and that's owes, such a potent
0: idea and, like, yeah. one that has lasted for so long.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, it owes something to real conspiracies. Like, you know, certainly people were aware of real conspiracies and whatnot, you know, prior to that. And right. that owes something to the history of revolutions and, and whatever. But, like, right. that's just – it's as part of that lineage. I think this, this, this creative act of, like, putting that together in the way that he put it together creates this whole genre. You know, that's right. based on similar prints, similar worlds. That is
0: interesting. Like, in what way is, like, the Illuminatus trilogy indebted to Arthur
1: Conan Doyle? And it's like, oh, a In lot, a big way. Actually. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like, fucking postmodern fiction It has such a deep—we've even talked about this before. I think postmodern fiction in America has an incredibly deep connection to detective stories. It's a deeply profound connection. I think, like the mm-hmm. the like key conceit of a lot of postmodern fiction is that we're going to do a detective story, but the end is going to be that nothing makes sense. Like <laughs> that's just like what a postmodern story is. Like, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Cool. So I, 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 so continuing on. I, I love this way of thinking about the question. Sorry if I'm arguing with you. I'm doing it partially to like understand because I, I think you come at this very differently from I do. I'm also curious that you know we've we've talked about a number of authors like on this podcast. This is our like 17th book or whatever. Like, which which ones would you like think of like? Oh, these are the books Mm. that we've talked about that did world building really well. I love like I. I'll say I think of like banks for instance we like,
1: we talked about the world almost more than we talked about right. the book because that was more interesting to right. us. And that's a, that's a rare example of where I think the culture to me is more, almost more potent and interesting than even the best culture books might take mm-hmm. like slightly less prime of place, you know, in my head than the actual right. culture itself. Even accession. Right. I, yeah, I think there's like,
0: like one or two culture books that fit up top. And then there's like the culture where like right. the other books are great because they're in the culture, not yeah. necessarily because
1: they're great books. Right, 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 right. So I, I, I and, and that's kind of, it's funny because I, I didn't love that book, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, totally, but I yeah. love the culture. I totally love it. Um, uh, let's see. I mean, I think a lot of these authors have done good world building but Mm -hmm. you know my favorites i i I think the culture is probably really going to take the take the cake there it's hard to imagine i'm not sure what others uh you know what what else are my absolute favorites you know what i mean culture's got to be really up there I really enjoy a lot of other things, though. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I feel like
0: world-building specifically. I mean, here's the other interesting... Like, when it comes to science fiction world-building, there's maybe this other thing that maybe you were going to talk about, and I should have let you keep talking, or or maybe not, but of, like, you know... There's just the physical world building. There's like how does the world work in a like physical way? And we talked about this a little mm-hmm. bit of like that's kind of where NK Jemison starts, which is like, what's the geology? What are the like physics? And um, mm-hmm. from that point of view, like Dark Eden. Like, really, like, like like this whole ecology that's so different and makes so much sense. Like, mm-hmm. I, I love that. You know, I think Sue Burke did a pretty good job of that, too, in Semiosis. Like, it's part of why we yeah. read those books back to back, is both of them have this, like, sense of ecology to them. And I really like yeah. that. Um, I think maybe Dark Eden, just because of the conceit of, like, a world with no sun. Like, like I just say that out loud and I get
1: shivers
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, and then, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, like banks really does stick out to me as someone where like, you know, his best books in the Culture no- series, like to me, like there's two of them: "Look to Windward" and "Accession," that really just stand alone as science fiction novels. And then the rest of them, I like a whole lot, but are like made better by being in the Culture. Like because you're getting mm-hmm. to learn more about the Culture, I'm even more interested in them than I would otherwise be.
1: Yeah, well, exactly. And that really they're stands like out to me. A vehicle. Yeah. Yeah, they're like a vehicle for this world, or, or a vehicle and he's also done maybe. The thing- Oh, my God. They're a vehicle. <laughs> Sorry. Chris Beckett's book are a vehicle. Sorry. I, I, I will shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Like, I mean, and that's kind of the getting back to the distinction between what's world building and what's just like part of your book. Yeah. That maybe wouldn't qualify as world building. Because mm-hmm. I was thinking like, well, I like Romy Fudge.
0: That's another one I deal. was thinking, too. Um,
1: but like, I, I sort of feel like, you know, it's, it's kind of world building. It's maybe on the line in the definition that we're kind of working with right now here, you know, I can imagine other definitions that are fine, but it doesn't involve a whole lot of, I don't sense the presence of like chronologies and maps. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm,
0: mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there's elements of it that are like, you know, cool when you, when you, when you take, you know, I mean, there's these, she does a very great job with elements, like the idea of like this genetically modified, like wild boar that flies, you know, like that kind of stuff is really like fun and interesting and creative and like makes a lot of sense within the story. But to your point, it's sort of like elements, not an entire interconnected world. So from yeah. that, I mean, it's a great book,
1: right? Yeah. It's yeah. also a, great, it's a book. great book, but I just don't sense the presence of a lot of world building, which mm-hmm. is completely fine mm-hmm. and like does not in any way detract from it. Right. Right. Cool. So you wanted to talk some more about world building. I, I cut you off with this oh. question. <laughs> oh, no, 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 that's fine. I have a bunch of these questions. So another question I was going to pose as a kind of like a way of another way of thinking about w- world building when other people are doing it or when you're trying to do it. Is what are your inputs to the world building process? Mm-hmm, Not just like, what mm-hmm, do you mm-hmm. want to use, but like your inputs could be so many things, but being con- being self-conscious about what they are, I think is helpful. So like, this is the type of world I want to make, you know, like this is the, this is how much research I want to do. Th- th- this is what I want to research. Or, you know, alternatively, I don't want to research. I don't want to do any research. My research is going to be that I like sit and think about this and like, you know, adopt the, 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 like, you know, hermit approach, right. Hermit philosopher approach or just, just is you, fine. Know, I, you know,
0: there's also like, you know, like I'm more interested in building a self-sufficient ecology that makes sense. Or I'm more interested in like having a culture that's totally new, or I'm, you know, interested in geology and like, you know, like making the volcanoes of this world make sense or like do something cool. Yeah. Right. Like, the, yeah. like you can take these like different a, like uh, sciences or like like fields of study and like make that the kind of centerpiece if you want to totally
1: yeah now I think that's like a, such an, a a good way of looking at it like it's you're um you're doing kind of you have the option to do what NK jemison does and you can think like oh man you know I th- I think it will add a lot to this world if I understand geology a lot more and put that understanding into the world building mm-hmm and so I'm going to talk like I'm going to get some new inputs as a result I'm going to like be self-conscious about like talking to geologists and like mm-hmm. you know reading about geology and right, stuff like that right
0: well and also Which, I mean one thing Jemison did when she was writing the fifth season was she like went to Hawaii so that she could go to an active volcano because she was like I want to know what it feels like I want to know like how my body reacts I want to know like what the smell is like and I want to know that firsthand not just talking to people and like I love that, oh, that yeah, it's, so it's true. both the like you you know let's talk to the scientists but also like let's experience it and be mindful of that experience so i can write about that experience not just about the like techno babble right like i'm not just going to be writing about oh, like yeah. the science of volcanoes i'm going to write about like what it feels like to be a volcano
1: <laughs> oh my god i love that that's a great way to put it i think it's like i mean this know, is me a, like one way to think
0: relating something she said to us in a, in a talk that i went to so to be clear but
1: it's that's exactly the right way to. i think it's a great way to think about it like it's like you know your one way to think about your you know your inputs to your world building process is to be like okay well what are the like what is my schedule going to be like you know like mm-hmm, what what mm-hmm. um what like experiences do i need to have to be able to like do this world building the way that i want to do it do I need right. to like, I mean, <laughs> David Foster, Wall is going and like sitting in with a tax preparation with a, the department of the IRS or whatever the fuck <laughs> you did, like that's right. like, you know, a famous example, but like, so is like, you know, any, anytime any author has ever done anything to like travel to a place to experience it or to like read right. a certain book in preparation. It's like, what, what, right. How are you going to take, what information do you want to take in to make this happen? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think there's something that like a lot of, you know, science fiction readers, authors, whatever. I mean, I don't want to like malign any individual author or whatever, but like, like the way we even as fans tend to think about science fiction, fantasy, speculative fiction, what, what have you is as like, oh, well, like, obviously doing research means talking to the scientists about how it actually works when it's like. Well, it's literature. It's about experience. Like just as <laughs> just as valid is like experiencing so it for yourself and being able to talk about like about that, right? Be able to like help other people experience it. Like because, you know, maybe to me, like that's actually how it actually works is how it you experience it. Like the science is whatever, it's useful and explanatory and really powerful, but how it actually works is like what it felt like the day I woke up in the middle of the night and the sky was blood red and there was snow falling. But it was ash not snow right like that's how it actually works yeah and like that you won't get from the you know the good scientists you'll get that from them but you won't get it if you're just like reading the papers or like asking them about like how do we know when an earthquake happens or like what's the richter scale actually tell you know it's like that doesn't give you that in the same way
1: yeah it makes me think of another thing which is um i also enjoyed yoon ha lee's world building a great deal and he does something Mm. really interesting which is make use of math in in a cool way Mm -hmm. that is not at Mm -hmm. all, uh, deep into math itself, but kind of uses math as an inspiration or a metaphor. And that's yet Mm -hmm. another kind of thing you could draw on. I mean, you know, Yoon has this experience, uh, of their previous career and, and, you know, all the stuff that they are already an expert in and, and all this stuff that they can draw on. And so it's like, you know, that was perhaps like an obvious choice for them, but Um, it would work just as well with anybody. If, 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 if a person were interested in writing a book and they suddenly think like, oh man, you know, like, I don't know why, but I have this thought that like, if I, you know, like finally went back and learned how to, you know, do logarithms that would like give me some insight into like (laughs) the thing I'm trying to describe. Right. Well, and another thing he did really well was just like the sort
0: of like seamless, like Korean elements yeah. you yeah. know like having this like, like there's also this thing that we've barely talked about with world building is like what culture are you taking from like what cultural elements are you like including yeah because in you know we that's live a big in one part dominant of yeah. society totally
1: i think that's a big part of, of of what kind of input you take i mean it's mm-hmm. you know clearly mm-hmm. in killing moon we're talking about ancient egypt a lot we're talking about like dream analysis or we mentioned it at least Right. Well, like
0: there's this whole union thing going on that's totally separate from ancient Egypt.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so like another thing you can do is a kind of combinatorics of inputs. You know, Mm -hmm. you can be like, okay, there are these three things or that there's like five things that I want to combine in a new way. Yeah. You know, there's these two things that I really want to like. I don't think people have put them together in the way that I think of, Mm -hmm. like that I think would be cool, you know, yet. So. That's, I think, part of what I love about N.K. Jemisin's stuff. Yeah. She's putting stuff together in these really interesting combinations.
0: Right. It's like, it's like not just like, oh, let's do fantasy based in ancient Egypt. It's like the obvious thing to do is like, okay, well, we'll take the ancient Egypt religion and like what it cares about and like turn that into the magic system. And N.K. Jemisin's like, no, no, obviously the magic si- like is based on Jungian psychology and dream analysis not ancient <laughs> Egypt that's just the ancient like let's put that into the ancient Egypt religion instead of the ancient <laughs> Egypt religion into the mat you know just yeah. like and, and that's yeah. so cool that's such this fun way of you know I like oh uh, it's almost like I think about it in some ways backwards way of doing things not backwards in terms of like you know negative but like backwards in terms of like opposite of the steps most people would take like the like going in the reverse order from the steps I think a lot of people take when they do world building and it's like doing Doing that kind of thing of like, well, what if I like walked backwards, like then where do I get to instead of walking forwards from here? It's a really useful, like
1: creativity engine. Totally. So I have a question for you, Adrian. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are some things that you would want to combine into a oh. world that you don't think somebody's written? Good like, question. give me like two or three things you want to mash together. Good. I want some mashing.
0: Good question. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> this is so hard because we've been talking about so many things that I like. I immediately go to like Mission Child by Marine McHugh, which I have on my on my uh desk, mm-hmm. literally right next to me, or um Romy Futch, which we've already been. Like, I go to these things. Like I feel like I've been like primed to like talk about stuff already. Um let's see what's some what's some stuff that i'm into i mean i feel like i so okay i will actually take something somewhat personal in that um i was in college like wrote like about a quarter of this like science fiction novel And the thing, the way that I started was I started like, I want to write something post-apocalyptic and survivalist and kind of like, you know, prepper survivalist science fiction, but I want to set it now. I don't want to ask what happens if the apocalypse happens now. I want to ask what happens if the apocalypse happens to post-humans, where the apocalypse is not like us going back a thousand years and being in a like, you know, like us going back to kind of like hunter-gatherer society, but rather is like a post-human society going back to like our modern society and like that to them (laughs) is an apocalypse right like like them losing their post-human abilities and becoming merely human is an apocalypse so it's like in some ways what i did was i took like you know world building wise i took like two genres and smashed them together because i hadn't really seen that done of asking like let's take cyberpunk and apocalypse and like what does that look like like what like what does it mean for them to be in an apocalyptic situation
1: absolutely slayed perfect answer (laughs) love it
0: (laughs) also one thing I'd love to see more authors write about and like all over the place um, and this is actually I think I was having a conversation with like former guest Charlotte Geter about this um, but it's just like service industry work like Mm. like especially like quote-unquote sharing economy or like uber style bullshit where like uh, your boss is an app (laughs) and you know like what does it look like when when your boss is an algorithm and like you're working for pennies and like like Mm -hmm. that's really interesting and fruitful and like you know, more of that in, in any, like, I don't think that has to be like modern literary fiction or like, I think it'd be science fiction. I think it'd be far future. I think there's a lot of stuff there. And, you know, I've read a couple of people who have done that. Um, but, but I think, I think that, that's such a ripe area of like, like, yeah, let's take a thing like jobs and like, in, like, you know, we used to have like blue collar jobs and more professional white collar jobs, but like now we have this like middle realm of, you know, gigs I'm like, let's start let's start playing with gigs <laughs> as a as a you know.
1: I love that. I think that's amazing. Um I you know, honestly, a book that comes to mind that I really enjoyed that is sort of that in a weird way, mm-hmm. is Convenience Store Woman.
0: Oh, I don't know. Which this. is a
1: Japanese novel that was translated into English.
0: Cool. It was very
1: successful in Japan and it was translated into English. It came out only a couple of years ago. Cool. Um it is not science fiction, it is sort of just like like literary fiction i guess but it's very short quick read in no way kind of suffers from a lot of the stereotypical issues of lit fic stuff mm-hmm. uh, in america at least what i would think of as those right it's the story well, of a, a, a lot woman. of american literary fiction is also very good so of course yeah it's this book is the story of a woman who works in a convenience store in japan mm-hmm. and that type of job in japan is considered quote part-time end quote
0: oh interesting and
1: it is the kind of job that you have for a little while in your 20s and then you like move on mm-hmm. but this woman only wants to do that
0: oh that is the only it. thing
1: she wants to do and and then like what and and like she has various sort of you know uh her i don't know if you want to call it mental health issues or what but basically like her mental health profile her mental profile does not fit into like accepted categories in society right She's like neuro atypical, I guess is maybe a possibly, it. you know, it, it's sort of unclear. I mean, for, she just is different from right. everyone she knows right? and from all the stereotypes. Well, I think that's and, why atypical uh, is useful here. Cause it's not yeah. like, you know, Oh, she's like mentally unwell in some way, just that she's different. Yeah, no, 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 that's sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry if I gave that impression that's in, in no way do I, would I describe her as mentally unwell? Um, so it's, it's the story of, 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 of her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it's a really good book. It's really short. It's a quick read. It's really fun. And I think it's like, it's, it's like a very powerful look at a similar dynamic in another country. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's not quite the gig economy, but like in Japanese, uh, like political discourse, these quote unquote part-time jobs and their relationship to like normal jobs is like this very fraught thing. That's been this like big discussion for a long time. And like more and more people have to do these part-time jobs for a long time. And it's, It's a whole thing that's a little bit similar to the gig economy stuff. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, actually, that kind of reminds me, you know, I mean, there's all these like jobs in America that maybe like like I don't think we have quite the same categories for them. But I think of like almost like, you know, migrant worker type jobs, like the types of jobs that, you know, like it like really like people don't even think of as jobs, especially not like not jobs for Americans to have. And like that's a whole world. One, you know, once one book that actually, actually, as I'm saying, this comes to mind is this book, uh, Soft Apocalypse by Will McIntosh, which I like, I love this book. um We've I've, I've mentioned it before. It's like a potential on the podcast at some point, probably not anytime soon. But like it's it's on my list of like books I'd love to read with you. And like there it's this sort of like, you know, it's like vaguely post-apocalypse but it's not that it's like it's not that things are worse for everyone it's just that things are worse for most people but like also better for a lot of people depending on like which class you exist within and um you know there there, there's all this stuff about this sort of like you know <laughs> the first chapter is like a nomadic gang of <laughs> sociology graduates <laughs> who Amazing. who wander the countryside with their like useless, you know, degrees like uh, uh using portable solar panels to like fill up batteries and sell them at convenience stores. <laughs>
1: Amazing. <laughs> and it's God, just like, yeah, this, I, you know,
0: it's <laughs> all of it. And like, to be clear, the, the author was himself a sociology professor when he wrote it. So he was like poking fun at his own profession w- with that, not like shitting on other people's. Um, but like it, 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 that kind of thing of like playing around with this like, oh, well, we think of these like migrant worker jobs is for people who are not like us. So like, let's put people like us inside of it and see what that feels like and see what we can do with that. I think it's a really kind of powerful talking about like mixing and matching, like that's a kind of world building that can be really useful to do.
1: Yeah. I like that a lot. I want to read that book.
0: It's good. It's a good one. Cool. (laughs) Well, do we have any other, you know, sort of like thoughts about (laughs) dream blood? (laughs) We've gotten a little bit far away from it. Um, the killing moon. I think it's
1: legit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, without spoiling it, it's hard to
0: yeah, I mean, it. <laughs> it's definitely, it's like, I, I think this is some of it, like it's, it's plot starts right away. So I, I hope people like it. Like I said, it's one of, it's my, you know, like definitely favorite individual book of N.K. Jemisin's. And I think it, um, you know, like f- is a really, really solid book stands on its own really well. And I hope people yeah.
1: do and like do read have, it and enjoy it. Do you have any final sort of suggestions for people if they're gonna pick it oh, up oh yeah it. no thank you for the leading
0: question um because <laughs> i would have forgotten uh pay attention to the moon what is it oh shit what oh, is shit. it oh, shit. <laughs> it's some world building priming right there <laughs> <laughs> Oh, cool. Right. I it's think for that, I loved it. yep. No, this has been good. Um, you know, our third time recording this podcast, <laughs> a little, Shh, a little bit anyone. of our own world building. going on. Um, so I guess with that, we should thank, uh, WJ for the music folks are hearing right now. Uh, to Noah Bradley for our music, you can find, or for, for to our artwork, you can find him at noahbradley.com and buy prints and stuff like that. It's cool, like speculative fiction art. Uh, also, we're on Twitter at uh, Specology Pod. We are specologypod at gmail.com. If you want to chat with us, you know, call to action, tell us your favorite world building books, leave a comment below. get the bell on (laughs) convey this expression the audio consternation (laughs) um yeah but you know like uh leave a review on itunes i don't i don't fucking you guys are listening already if you've gotten this far you know thank you for listening to our dumb bullshit we appreciate you a
1: lot you are great you are good Um
0: yeah, we'll look forward to more
1: dumb bullshit on the same, you know, dumb bullshit (laughs) channel.
0: We'll we'll be back in two weeks to talk about uh the killing moon like in depth. We'll be doing our post-read, full spoilers, blah 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 at the end of August. So yeah, until then, Matt, good stuff. Peace out. Bye. Oh my God. I know. <laughs> God. I'll loop you there towards the end.
1: For a second, I thought you were going like, to mix up the names. I don't know why I thought you were <laughs> going to do that, but you obviously didn't. So, good job. <laughs>
0: what, what, what would that even mean? Like, i say I'm Matt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 i can if you want me to it's too late too late okay. press on um, <laughs> <laughs> uh,